Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Startup Nightmares. Startup Nightmares is a podcast that aims to inspire those who work in the startup world to do the best work they can the best way possible while dodging some bullets doing so. Let's just be a bit more human here. All of these people started needing stuff from me. Don't feel like you're on your own because you're, you're never on your own. But I'm paying this person a good wage. Why isn't that enough? And that doesn't make me special. What is making me special is my deeper story. People need a sense of purpose to feel motivated in their job. Wake up at five in the morning and like go to the gym for an hour. Like, what the fuck is that? You're sitting at your desk crying and you're like, what happened? I had no idea how to monetize anything. I was like, ah, everybody gets a title. You get a title. You get a title. Either pay me or I will sue you. All of our guests have been to the dark side of the innovation ecosystem and came back to tell their tale. You can use this. This is how you get there. It is not a secret anymore. My name is Tal Shmueli, and I will be your host. Hillel Fuld, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Great to be here. One of the most well-informed people about the Israeli tech system. You've been around forever. You know all the movers and shakers. Please help our listeners, those who don't know you, by telling us who you are, what do you do, and why do you do it? Oh, boy. How long do we have for that introduction? 74 minutes. I mean, because that might take up the whole podcast. <laughs> I'm just saying. Listen, this is a question that I struggle with throughout my career, because when I started my career, what I do now was not a thing. Meaning, I could never have said to you, in 15 years from now, I want to be a startup advisor and a tech blogger and a vlogger. And these things weren't words. There was no such thing. I like to say I wear four hats. Uh, I do four main things. Hat number one is let's call it startups. What does that mean? Uh, startups reach out because they read my, my writing or they watch my videos or whatever it may be. You're a, you're a, you know, a lecturer of mine and they say, you know, we are building something. We want to figure out our go-to-market strategy. We'd love to meet you. Or we want introductions to investors. We want to meet you. Generally speaking, I'm happy to meet startups because my rule of thumb is I like to be the dumbest one around the table. And if I can meet smart people, great, fantastic. When I meet these startups and I help them, I don't take money. Nobody pays me. Maybe they buy me a hamburger or a steak. But uh, I often meet them and sometimes even introduce them to investors, sometimes even bring them investments, sometimes get them press, whatever it may be. And again, for free. There's no strings attached. And that's by design. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. But that's always been the case. Then what happens is that the 2% of all the companies that I meet who I've helped over the years come back to me. 
and say to me, listen, Hillel, we, we want you as part of the team. Uh, what are your terms? I now have a big portfolio of companies that I'm, a, for lack of a better term, a strategic advisor at uh, that I help them with growth. So what does growth mean? It could mean anything from introductions to investors to uh, help with strategic social media. So I'm not tweeting for them, but I'll build their strategy, what they should be doing on Twitter to PR because I write for all these publications, which we'll get to in a second, content strategy, anything to do with growth. So that's hat number one is startups. Hat number two is content. So this all started from blogging. I have passion for technology. I write well. I should do something with this. So I started what we call today a blog. But again, then it wasn't a word. From my perspective, it was a tech diary. I didn't have any business model. I didn't care who was reading it. I wasn't putting ads, none of that stuff. It was pure thoughts about technology on a piece of paper, quote unquote, virtual piece of paper. That really led to everything. And again, we're going to get back to all of this, but it started from that. So today I write or I blog or call me a journalist, a columnist, whatever word you want to use for a lot of different publications. So I have a weekly column on the Jerusalem Post, a weekly column in Inc. Magazine, and then I'm a contributor at TechCrunch and the Next Web and Venture Beat and Business Insider, Entrepreneur Magazine, and, and others, which you know is a classic win-win. They get content. I get distribution. Everyone's happy. They don't pay me, and that's a really important point. And I keep saying it. We're going to get back to it, but we will. Someone should pay you, and I'm not paying you. No, so. so We'll get back. The companies that I advise pay me retainer. That's my bread and butter. But 90% of the work or the hats is not for pay, and that's by design. So hat number one we said is startups. Hat number two is content. Half of the content is what we just talked about, but then there's the other side, which is you know a couple of years ago I found myself in Silicon Valley meeting with execs at Facebook, meeting with execs at Google and Microsoft and Apple and everywhere. And everyone's talking about Israeli tech. Everyone knows Waze. There wasn't a single person that I met with who wasn't familiar with Mobileye, right? But what I found incredibly fascinating is that when I said to them, oh, you know Waze? They're like, yeah, we love Waze. I'm like, oh, so you know Uri Levine, the founder of Waze? They're like, no, who's that? And I'm like, Mobileye? They're like, oh, Mobileye's amazing. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm on Shashua. They're like, who's that? I'm like, wait a second. You know who Mark Zuckerberg is, founded Facebook. You know who Jack Dorsey is, founded Twitter. You know the founders of American tech companies are. Why doesn't anyone know the name of Ishai Avrahami, the founder of Wix? No one knows these names. So I said, this is an interesting phenomenon. Now, I'm meeting these people anyway. So I said, you know what? I'll buy myself a camera. And when I meet these people, I'll turn on my camera and I'll start interviewing them. And I'll give the world a little bit of a window into the people behind all the magic. Everyone talks about Israeli tech, but no one knows Israeli founders. So I said, I'm going to start giving people a window into that. So I started this daily video blog on YouTube where literally I just do my thing. I don't look for interviews. I do my thing. I meet these founders. I meet startups. I meet VCs. I meet whoever I meet. And I turn on my camera if they'll allow me to interview them. And I don't make money from my vlogs. But the amount of doors that it's opened, just like my blogging back then, is unbelievable. Uh, So hat number two, content. Hat number three, uh, let's call it public speaking. So bottom line is over the past, let's call it five years, public speaking has become a big source of income for me and and something that I do a lot. Obviously now in times of COVID, a lot less. And finally, drum roll please, the last hat is, let's call it brands. Brand ambassador, brand evangelist, brand, I don't even know, influencer maybe. That's hat number four is uh, brand collaborations. Now, I'm going to just sum up everything that I've said till now and by saying that I'm some random dude who loved tech so much that I was like, kind of like what you guys are doing. I'm like, I'm going all in on this thing. I don't care if, you know, I'm going to waste years of my life. I still, I love what I'm doing. This is not actually a means to an end. This is my end. I love tech. I'm going to write about tech. And that led to it a, a an entire career that I still wake up every morning and pinch myself because I've never actually done anything in my life that warrants me call, being called a Google developer expert or any of the other titles that you or anybody else gives me. I've never built a successful company. In fact, I've built many failures of companies 
which we can talk about. And so, you know, when CEOs of big companies or VCs or whoever reaches out to me or when publications ask me to write for them, I kind of look to my right and to my left and, and feel like, are you talking to me or is there someone standing behind me? And my mentality has been, as long as everyone thinks I'm a rock star, I'm going to play along, uh, not correct anyone, but I'm kind of waiting for this. And this is the imposter syndrome. I'm kind of waiting for this house of cards to come crumbling down because again, I've never done anything. And why do I deserve in any way, shape or form to be sitting in a hotel lobby in Tel Aviv with Steve Wozniak who founded and invented the personal computer? Why does he come to Israel and ask me to meet? What have I done? Who the hell am I? I'm, I'm nobody. But again, I'll play along. I'm having a good time. I'll ride the wave. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm a kid in a candy store every day, having a good time and hoping that I can sustain it as long as possible. How's that for an answer? Did you think it was going to be that long of an answer when you asked me what I do? I bet you expected one answer. I'm like, I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I expected a longer answer. A longer answer. I mean, I can keep going if you want. 15 years uh-huh. and you only gave me five minutes. No, I'm joking. I've been going for hours. You've mentioned four hats. Uh, yeah. And before we circle back and go back to tech and startups and whatever, I want to talk about your fifth hat. Okay. And that's your keeper, your yarmulke. Yeah. Tech is often criticized for a lack of diversity and inclusivity. And on the show, we're trying to represent a, a broad spectrum of what's going on in Israel. And here you are, a religious person uh, living outside of the Tel Aviv tech yeah. bubble. Four kids? Five. Five kids. Okay. You didn't get it wrong completely, though, because four births, because we have twins. Got it. Um, so four trips to the hospital. Here you go. Uh, <laughs> so you're not the typical tech dude, even you're very much so. Right. Can you tell us a bit about the fifth hat, about being religious in tech or religious in general in Israel? How does that sure. make you a different person to the others we've interviewed? So the answer is it doesn't. I, I get the question a lot. Is it, like a, is it an obstacle? Is it a problem? Not only is it not a problem, in my opinion, but it's actually... You know, as a marketing guy, I tell startups and I tell people all the time, marketers need to take disadvantages or potential disadvantages and turn them into their biggest advantage, right? And so as you might see online, I proudly declare that I'm signing off for Shabbat every Friday. 24 hours without the uh, ticks, shticks or whatever Close. it is. I... Ringing, pinging, tweeting, yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh, um, yeah, no, so I mean, I, I startups that meet me know that we need to go to the kosher restaurant. It's It's not only is it not, detrimental or an obstacle, but it's really become part of my brand. I'm not going to say that there weren't things that I had to sacrifice over the years because of my religion. You know, there were, if I mentioned Google, for example, there was a summit that they had that came out on Shabbat, on Sabbath, which I don't, you know, on Sabbath, I'm offline, I'm completely disconnected. And so I couldn't do it. So there have been sacrifices, but if I were, if I were, if, you know, if I were to weigh the pros and the cons professionally, I'm not talking about spiritually, professionally, whether religion has helped me or harmed me, Overall, I think it's helped me, not harm me. When I, uh, I follow you on, uh, I think it's Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever, not on Facebook anymore, but... What would I do? Why'd you, uh, stop, why'd you stop following me on Facebook? No, no, I, I stopped following Facebook on oh, Facebook. Oh, you stopped Facebook. I was like, oh God, what'd I do on Facebook? No, no, nothing that you've okay, done. Good. Every weekend when you're posting your, I'm logging off for the next 25 hours, I'm like, God damn it. I'm still here ticking away with my inbox thinking about how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do more work this weekend when I'm not distracted when this guy is spending quality time with his family. I have good news and bad news. The bad news is you're right. Irrelevant of religion, taking 25 hours to disconnect is actually like emotionally and mentally rehabilitating. And it's a good thing. And you know, there's, there's a, th- a trend in the world, nothing to do with religion, of taking off time for the Sabbath, you know, a work Sabbath or whatever they call it. The bad news is it's not as nice or it's not as glory, uh, glorious as it may seem. It definitely, definite like handshaking by the end of Shabbat that I need to get back on Twitter. 
uh, you know, is that, listen, I don't think anyone would, would, would debate the fact that we have an addiction to our devices. And someone like me who lives on my device, quite literally, it's, it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, if you also think about it, our device in a way prevents us from thinking too much. If you think about it, like, you know, I drove here, I could have found this place by myself, but I didn't, I put on ways, right? I go to the supermarket, I put on ways. So our devices really prevent us or stop us from thinking too much. And in that way, it's a distraction. So how, if you think about it, sorry to get super deep here and psychological, but I'm not sure when the last time you sat and actually thought, maybe you're a thinker, I don't know, but I'm not, I don't sit and think, like look at, look up at the stars and think, that's not a thing that I do. No, no, I sit and get panic attacks. That's what I'm saying. So on Shabbat, when all I have are my thoughts, it's not as glorious as it may seem. There are definite, I don't know about panic attacks, but it's challenging sometimes, you know? And so by the end of Shabbat, I need to get back on my device and get my brain distracted. Yeah. Uh, or if I'm going to be kind to myself, get my brain maybe moving f- at, the p- at the pace that I like it. But, but, but if I'm being real and honest and vulnerable, it's get my distraction back and get my Band-Aid and get my, my digital cocaine back. Yeah. What are the things that are occupying your headspace? You mean outside of my career? When you're not with your phone, when yeah, you're alone I mean, in bed. Family is like, you know, it's a big thing. It's a big responsibility. I mean, you know, we, we joked before we turned on the cameras about marriage and dude, like people say this stuff, like now it's funny, we're, we're going off track here, but I'm cool with it. I'm people say marriage and relationships are work. I mean, there's a reason things become a cliche, right? It's because they're true. It's, dude, it's a lot of work, man. Lot, I've been married for 17 years. My dad likes to make a joke about him and my mom. We've been married for 45 years, but it feels like two days. Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av. Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av for those non-observers. Very heavy days in the Jewish calendar. Uh, anyway, it's a joke, obviously. They're a very happily married couple, and I look at them and I'm jealous. But the point is, um, you know, marriage and relationships and, and families, a lot. It's a lot. There's that. And then there's, you know, as of late, introspection, meaning lately personal, getting very vulnerable here. Look at your own... I guess, weaknesses, your own shortcomings. And again, when you're on your phone all day long on TikTok, you're not really paying attention to that stuff. But when you're with your thoughts and all you have are your thoughts, it gets, it gets a little uh, intense. You know what I'm saying? A percent, man. You, every time I see you post, I'm like, how did he get into that room? Because you are constantly surrounded by the most high-flying, ambitious, successful, smart people in the world. And that's like, these are your pals. These are the people you spend your, your walking day with. Well, I mean, I, I would like to believe it's my dashingly handsome looks. But that aside, I think I've, honestly, I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back right now, and you'll forgive me, but I really do believe that I've cracked a code that nobody else has cracked, which I talk about all the time. This isn't a secret, which is an interesting topic in and of itself. Why are you sharing secrets? And the answer is that people are lazy. You can give them your secrets. They won't do it because people are lazy. But I really do think I cracked the code. And, I, and I'm going to say, disclaimer, I take zero credit for it because it landed on me. It's not like I sat and I you know, wrote a, a paper on this, on this concept, this philosophy. It really just landed on me accidentally. And I think it's part of my personality, which is that if I'm saying it super simply and oversimplifying here, when you elevate others, you end up getting elevated, period, full stop. And you know, not to throw anyone under the bus, but in Israel – for those maybe a little unfamiliar with Israeli culture, when I put my blinker on on the road, in normal countries, they slow down and let you into the lane. In Israel, they speed up. It's a, it's a real thing. No, no, no. Like, I know it sounds funny, but it's a real thing. And there's a real sociological, historical, philosophical explanation to this. 
And again, sorry, it's super early in the morning. I'm getting really deep and dark here. You'll forgive me. But like, as a people, like we can't let anyone into our lane. We've been persecuted and massacred throughout our history. And we can't let anyone into our lane. You want to come into my lane? What's in it for me? I need to survive as a people, as a nation. And so Israeli culture, the worst thing you can be in this country. You know, in America, if I say to a normal person, a normal person, what's the most important thing for you? What do you want it to say in your tombstone? Most people, nothing to do with religion, would say, I want to be a good person. In Israel, the most important thing in Israel to any Israeli is to not be what we call a friar, to be a, not a sucker in English. Pushover. Pushover or a sucker. Not to let you into my lane. What's in it for me? Which is great when you're building technology. Because when the world tells you your country's smaller than New Jersey in the most unstable region on planet Earth, you can't develop a vaccine for COVID. You can't cure cancer. You're too small. You have too many challenges. Israelis are saying, okay, you, you think I'm, I'm not letting you into my lane. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack this. And that's great when it comes to building technology. When it comes to business, you got to let people into your lane. you got to let people into you. you got to build relationships. you got to be subtle, which is a very important point. Subtlety, right? The word subtlety does not exist in Hebrew. How do you say subtle in Hebrew? Meudan is the closest word. It's yeah, not. you can say, which is, Meudan means refined or delicate. Yeah, right. That's yeah. the closest. Right. So subtlety is not part of our culture. It really, really isn't. And so what I'm saying to you is that Israelis are very focused on, I'm presenting it a little bit black and white. It's not this black and white. It's a little bit gray. But Israelis as a whole are very focused on KPIs, on self-promotion, on getting wins, on making sales. And, you know, even a very simple example. One of the things that I like to do is help people get jobs. So I have CVs, I have tons of resumes in my Google Drive, and I have business development resumes. No company, almost without any exceptions, have asked me for a business development resume in this country. They asked me for sales, they asked me for marketing, they asked me for everything, but not business development. You know why? Because business development is about building relationships. It's about whining and dining. It's about getting people's trust. And yes, long-term converting that into sales, but it's long-term. It is the most subtle position in any company. Israeli startups don't have business development. Wix does, right? Public companies in this country do, but small startups, they don't have business development people. And again, back to the subtlety. And so I think what I figured out is that when you build a stage, whatever that stage is, whether it's a blog, whether it's a vlog, whether it's a podcast, whatever it may be, and this is very relevant to what you guys are doing here. When you build a stage and you put people on that stage, what you realize is that everyone who sees that Facebook post, and there is Steve Wozniak, or even anybody, right? And there's this dude standing next to him talking about how amazing he is. Well, what does that say about the dude if he's standing right next to him? He must be a rock star too. And so I elevate others and I get elevated. You know, And I'll give you a very, very basic example because it's relevant to what you guys are doing here, interviews. When I interview someone, I've, I've had the opportunity to interview the most insane people. Like I, Mark Andreessen invented the web browser, the modern web browser, Netscape, right? He's now the top venture capitalist in the world, invested in Facebook and in Slack. And, and I reached out to Mark and I said, Mark, you've deeply impacted my career. I want to interview you. Now, if you think about it, why would Mark agree to be interviewed by some random dude in Beit Shemesh, Israel? Well, what happened was that he, he agreed within 10 seconds. Why? It's very simple. Every single person on planet Earth, and I don't mean this in a cynical way, has an ego. Everyone has a mom they want to send their interview to and say, look, mom, I was interviewed. Even Mark Andreessen, even Steve Wozniak, even Alyssa Milano, everyone. These are people I interviewed. So number one, by offering them a stage, you tap into their ego. And again, don't mean that in a mean way, but we all have egos. And so what I did, my first ROI, quote unquote, my first return on investment is I now cultivated a relationship with Mark Andreessen. 
Why? Because he has an inbox full of people that want his money. And there's one email there from some random dude in Israel who doesn't want his money. He doesn't want anything from him. In fact, he wants to give him a stage. So I've differentiated myself fundamentally from everyone else, and I've now gotten on his radar. So that's return on investment number one. Return on investment number two is that as soon as I send him five questions or ten questions by email and he sends me back his answers and I copy and paste it on my blog and hit publish, what's the first thing that he does? He shares it. What happens when Mark Andreessen shares my blog? My servers crash because Mark Andreessen has a trillion followers. And guess who those followers are? My audience, the tech world. So I just had the world's top venture capitalist share my blog post. There's not enough money in the world for me to pay Mark Andreessen to share my blog post. All I did was give him a stage. So return on investment number one is a relationship. Return on investment number two is a crap load of targeted traffic. And return on investment number three is, and this is the most important one, everyone around me says, oh my God, Hill just interviewed Mark Andreessen. What does that say about me? I must be a rock star, right? So instead of me talking about how amazing I am all day long, I talk about how amazing everyone else is. And what ends up happening is people start to perceive me incorrectly or correctly that we can debate as someone amazing too. And so people literally, I mean, I was driving yesterday, true story. I was driving yesterday in Jerusalem and I saw a woman who's a designer at a company that I used to work for. uh, And I stopped my car and I yelled, Hey, and I, how are you? Whatever. And her husband was walking with her. I never met her husband as far as I know. And he literally said to me, can you please stop? I want to take a picture with you. What? Why do you want to take a picture with me? Because I want to be in a Hillel Fold selfie. Why? Because what am I going to write? This guy's a rock star. This, he knows that. Now, I'm not lying. I'm not going to take some guy who's like a horrible person and say he's amazing. That's not the point. But as we say in Hebrew, firgun, right? Giving people props. It doesn't cost me anything. If I give people a stage, everyone wins. So the answer is, to answer your question, again, I'm very, very elaborate answers today, but to answer your question, I'm in the room with the, with the world's top you know, tech stars because I'm giving them a stage and everyone wants to be on stage. People like to be on stage. That should have been my short answer. People like to be on stage. What's your advice uh, when, when people are rejecting interview offers or connection requests because they're swamped, because they are absolutely flooded? What's, if, if there's a stage here, why, why won't you take it? Those folks receive countless invitations to speak, right. to get interviewed, right. whatever. What makes the Hillel Fould show different? Well, it's an interesting question because if you look at my numbers, they're not that big. I don't have that many views on YouTube. Whatever, 2,000 subscribers, something like that. I don't even check. I have no idea. You know, 30, I checked. I have no idea. 2,100 as of yesterday. Excellent. Going up in the world. Uh, Twitter, what are 37,000 followers. Facebook, 14,000. These are small numbers, relatively speaking, to, to the world. 23,000 almost. Oh, really? 23? Yeah. Yeah, I literally don't look at this stuff. I promise you. I, I, I'm not faking. Right? I really don't know. It might sound like a lot, but if you look at the real influencers in the world, these are tiny numbers. And again, Mark Andreessen doesn't need 23,000 people. Like, he's, he's a legend. So it's not that. They're not after traffic. In fact, no, no person I've ever asked, hundreds of people that I've interviewed, nobody, without exception, has ever asked me, how many viewers do you have? How many people are going to watch this interview? Where is it going to be? They don't care. People like to be on stage. I mean, I don't have a real answer for you other than they know that I'm kind and they know that I'm going to make them look good. And generally speaking, on a much more philosophical or a deeper level, you know, and this is the question I thought you were asking, and this is a more important question, if I may say so. Those that say, I'm sorry, I can't take meetings. You know, you have to pay me for my... I'm going to say something super rude right now. I love you all, but you're a bunch of idiots. You're missing out on opportunities. And I can tell you endless, countless examples of people that asked to meet me. I'll give you one example. Actually, 
actually, I can't give you one example because I don't want to throw the guy under the bus. But someone asked to meet me and it made no sense for me to meet him. I said to him, what do you want? He wanted me to send him companies. So I said, I'll send you companies. You don't have to waste your time. I don't need a cup of coffee. You don't have to waste your money or time. There's no need to meet. I'll send you. People ask me to introduce them to investors. I don't need to meet them. Just send me your deck. Tell me which investors you want me to send it to. I'm happy to send it. I don't want anything. No finders fees. There's no catch. There's no strings attached. I don't need to meet you for that, right? But this guy who reached out to me and asked to meet, I said, I don't need to meet you. He said, no, I want to meet you. I said, I'll send you companies. It's really okay. He said, no, I want to meet you. So I met him. And again, if I was one of those people who says I don't, I wouldn't have met him. It made no sense for me to meet him, but I did. And I, and sure enough, the entire meeting was him trying to convince me to send him companies. And I said, dude, I told you, like I was going to send you, why'd you just waste my time? And I left that meeting like borderline depressed that I just wasted an hour of my life. I'll never get back. Anyway, long story short, fast forward a couple of months. And again, I'm trying to be vague here because I don't want to throw the guy under the bus. Turns out uh, I did send him companies a lot and I did help him a lot. And turns out he writes for a very, 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 very large publication. I didn't even know it at the time, but he wrote a whole feature on me. Again, I'm not going to say the title, but it was a very flattering title. I just don't want to say it because I don't want him to know who I'm talking about and I'm talking about him. But I use that article often to answer the question you asked me in the beginning of this show. What do I do? It's turned out to be incredibly beneficial for me. And had I not met him that day, it wouldn't have happened. So that's just one of literally hundreds of examples of meetings that I should not have taken if I was to analyze them from a traditional business perspective. But I did take them because I am of the opinion that you should always try to meet people and try to help others and elevate them, not because of karma, not because it's the right thing to do or it's nice, but because when you help others win in business, you win, period, full stop. Looking at the Israeli tech scene uh, with your perspective, seeing very, very internationally aware and also very embedded into what's happening here. What makes the local ecosystem unique? Oh, boy. That's quite a question. Where do I, where do I start? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Let's start with the people. I mean, listen, there's obviously been books written about this topic, and I don't think there's one right answer, but the culture plays a big role of not letting anyone into my lane. That's a big thing here. The military plays a big role, no question about it. The government plays a big role of supporting, whether it's the Innovation Authority and other things. But at the end of the day, you know, I do think, again, not to get too heavy, but I guess that ship has sailed. We've already gotten heavy, so let's get even heavier. You know, throughout our history, 
we had to leverage our resources to survive. We had to survive. And we had to be as resourceful as possible in order to make it to tomorrow. Today, here I am, like I'm going to sing like the national anthem here. But today we have our, our, our home. We have our state. We have our army. We, I mean, yes, we're still struggling. Don't get me wrong, right? Obviously, we have a conflict going on here, not denying that. But we're surviving. We now have the ability to take those resources that we historically used to survive and use them to change the world, right? And so, you know, what's, what's fascinating in terms of answering your question is that traditionally Israel was known for its strength in cyber, right, and semiconductors. And that was traditionally the case. But if you look today at the tech world as a whole, you'd have a really hard time finding any sector of technology in which Israel is not a, I'm not going to say a dominant or, or, or number one, but a significant player. Every single one of them. I mean, you name it. AI, VR, drones, almost everything. Medtech. Every, oh, health tech and, and healthcare is huge. I mean, I write this weekly column in the Jerusalem Post about impact, companies that are having an impact. It doesn't have to be impact you know, by the, by the actual, like, um, let's call it formal definition. My criteria to write about a company has to be that they're making the world a better place. And I had no idea how many companies there were. I mean, I, I'm writing, I mean, this week I'm writing about diabetes. Last week I wrote about sleep disorders. I mean, I'm, it's everything, you name it, across, I mean, cancer, every, every single, anything you can imagine. Uh, and Israel is this tiny little country, and we have every excuse in the book. You know, there was this, um, there was this meme going around the internet a, year, a few years ago about Steve Jobs. It said something like, Steve Jobs was born out of wedlock, he was adopted, he didn't finish college, and then he went, to change, went on to change the world. What's your excuse? Right? Stop making excuses. Israel has every excuse in the book. We could, we could be like, dude, innovation? We need, to, we need to survive. We have enemies at all our borders, right? But we're not. We're changing the world, and it's across all sectors. And every quarter, you know, when we break records, the press says this can't sustain itself. Israel's, you know, it's, it's got to be a fluke. It doesn't make any sense. And what happens the next quarter is that we break that record again. Uh, and the numbers are just completely and utterly outrageous. By, any, by the way, no matter how you want to analyze this ecosystem, you want to look at the amount of capital flowing, you want to look at the quality of the capital flowing, you want to look at the unicorns, you want to look at the multinationals that are based in Israel, you want to look at the innovation and just out-of-the-box thinking, or the most important thing is what we talked about before is the amount of Israeli companies that are having an impact on the world. No matter how you want to analyze this ecosystem, something about this little tiny country and our ability to innovate is totally extraordinary. What advice would you give folks from abroad, foreigners who are looking to do business in Israel, who are looking to partner, buy from, invest in companies in Israel? Buckle up. Thicken your skin because, you know, what you, what you know of entrepreneurship and just culture in general is, it depends where you're from, that's the truth. But I think maybe, I don't know if Europe is a little closer to Israel, culturally speaking, but if you're from the States and you're used to one way, then buckle up. That's number one. Number two, again, this is a cliche, but to invest, by the way, and this isn't specific to Israel, but in general, to invest in an entrepreneur, you have to ask yourself one simple question. Is this guy or girl crazy enough to actually do this? That's it. If the answer is yes, take out your checkbook. If not, put it away. You've seen countless companies over the years, and given what you just said, is there a common thread between the companies who make it and companies who don't? Is there a secret sauce to startup success? I definitely cannot spot the trend, and I don't think there anyone, there's anyone in the world who can do that. Um, and, and, and I want to be very clear. I don't remember who I was talking to about this the other day. Somebody smart. Anybody who gives you a formula for success is full of crap. 
Really, they're full of crap. Like all these YouTubers and motivational, do this, do, you're going to be the next Google? Come on. I can say things that if you don't do them, then you will definitely not succeed. But I can't tell you do A, B, C, X, Y, Z, and you will be the next Google. You know why? Because at the end of the day, timing matters and luck matters. And anyone who says that luck is not part of this is kidding themselves. And I can speak from experience. Twice, not once, twice, I founded companies that failed that within a few months, another company did the exact same thing and has become multi-billion dollar companies. Twice. Because I was at the wrong time. Yeah, I'm not going to you know, avoid accountability. We could have executed better. I think that research is a real part of it that many like, many like to skip, right? Because I have an idea. I want to run with it. I, I get it. I get it. Human nature. I have an idea. I want to run with it. If you don't spend anywhere between a month and six months building a market landscape that's fully comprehensive, every company, and I'm going to explain what I mean in a second, every company in your space, not only companies are doing the exact same thing as you, but any company, if you're targeting the Washington Post and you want to sell something to the Washington Post, you want to sell them a JavaScript that they should put on their website, whatever. Any company that's pitching the Washington Post that their product will increase their time, their, your reader's time on page is your competitor. Every company. I don't care if they're building an SDK and you're building a JavaScript. Or, I don't care what they're doing. If, if they're pitching them an umbrella and they say, if you use my umbrella, your readers will stay on the page longer and you're building a JavaScript, they're your direct competitor. And so build yourself a landscape full of every single competitor out there. And not only the name of the company, why they failed, if they failed, why they succeeded, what does the market say about them, how are you going to differentiate, if at all. Without that component of market research, and I know, again, I, to be very clear, I don't meet market research to validate my own ideas, right? I have an idea. Okay, I'll do research and I'll convince myself that no one else has done this. No, that's your instinct as an entrepreneur. Don't do that. Do the opposite. Convince yourself that everyone's tried this, right? And again, this has become a cliche, but competition is your best friend. Because if there's no competition, there's only two options. Either you didn't do research or there's no market for your idea. If no one has tried it before, then there's no demand. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that in 2020, it is highly uncommon and unlikely that you're coming up with an idea that no one's thought of before. 100%. So many companies approach the market research part is just to make sure no one had thought about it before right. us. And right. then they realize someone had, and then it's to out-execute them instead of being you know, the best that company could be. Right, right. So, uh, so the answer is, that's just one example, market research. Make sure you know what you're doing because if... You go into this and start building your idea without knowing your market. You are literally you're shooting in the dark. And now your chances of success, or success are, are, are close to zero. Sitting in the room with entrepreneurs who are trying to uh, make it happen after having, in your words, failed with two of your own ventures. How did your failures influence who you are as a, as a I want to say, a media personality uh, almost? So that's, that brings us back to what I mentioned before with imposter syndrome. So a couple of years ago, I don't know, maybe it was, I'm not sure if it was two years ago or something like that, I get, a, I get an email from a college in America saying, hey, Hillel, we want you to be our commencement speaker at the graduation. And I'm telling you, I'm like, I think you meant a different Hillel. What? Dude, Bill Gates does commencement speeches. Hillel Full doesn't do commencement speeches, right? Like imposter syndrome on steroids. I'm going to stand up in front of a, a, a group of MBA graduates with a degree in political science and talk to them about their dreams? What the actual hell? And then I was like, you know what? That's the topic of my speech. And I got up there and I talked about imposter syndrome and I said, if Hillel Fold, who's done nothing in his life, all I've done is love tech, followed my passion, that's all I did. And if I could be standing here right now, I guess it's kind of meta, but if I could be standing here right now giving you this speech, then 
you guys, what, what, the sky's, you can do whatever you want, right? So the answer is, uh, I guess it's given me a little humility that my failures and my lack of any, again, I'm going to keep saying I've never done anything. I don't even know what I'm doing here. What am I, why are you, why are you interviewing me? What did I do? I'm, I'm nobody. But the reality is, perception is reality in our world. And so people perceive me as whatever they perceive me as. So again, I'm stepping up and playing that role for as long as people don't think I'm full of crap. But it's giving me humility. And, and I like to give that disclaimer before I do any podcast, before I, I'm happy to answer any questions from my perspective. I'm happy to give you, an entrepreneur, some advice. But just so you know, you're a lot smarter than me. So I don't even know why you want to talk to me. But if you want to talk to me, happy to play along. It's giving me humility. Having said that, if I'm going to play my own lawyer here for one second, the balancing of the lack of any success you know, or billion-dollar companies is the fact that I've spent the last 10 years meeting incredible entrepreneurs and hearing their stories and seeing their journey. So that does give me a little bit, a tiny bit, of a feel of what it takes, right? But again, I, I'm, I'm fully self-aware that none of this makes any sense from a traditional business perspective because I've done nothing. I don't know if that answers your question, does it? I think it does. And I'm curious if spending so much time with these type of people make you question your career choice when you see the buzz in a, in a startup that had just raised, when you seeing firsthand what these guys are dealing with. Did it ever make you want to go back to your uh, Converse life, to being, a, to being an employee or an executive in a startup that's going through this? Absolutely not. I'll tell you why. I've built my career. I've tailored my career around my ADHD. Think about it. I'm meeting new entrepreneurs every day. I'm meeting incredible companies. I'm seeing their journey. It's exciting. It's very exciting. It feeds into my ADHD. So that's, that's number one. Um, but I, I will say, and again, maybe somewhat of a tangent. I don't know if this is what you were getting at. Probably not. There are many downsides to this tech world. There are many downsides. There's like you, you said the glory or the buzz. I think the word is that you used. It's a lot. There's a lot of BS. There's a lot of crap out there. You know, we can debate the WeWork story from now till tomorrow. I probably disagree with your opinion. I don't know your opinion, but I disagree with most people about WeWork. Um, but I'm just saying, forget WeWork. I think there is a real phenomenon that not many people are talking about. I've written articles about a real phenomenon. It's not like a, an edge case that once in a blue moon, but it happens. I don't know if I'm going to say often, but it's happened to me personally multiple times where a person is a full-blown, but a full-blown scam artist. Like, I'm the CEO of a tech startup. Okay, great. Here I'm building it, and it's their dream. It's in their head. But in reality, they have nothing. And I'm not talking about somebody who just leaves it at that. I'm talking about a guy who recruits a team. I'm talking about a guy who builds a web of lies around him and everyone believes him. And it's all air. I mean, I can tell you stories that would make your skin crawl. You would not believe the things that I've experienced over the years. And I'm a naive guy. I like to believe people. I've had someone um, present themselves to me as a, an engineer at Apple. And he gave me elaborate details of the things he works on and who he reports to and what he does at Apple. And without getting into too much detail, although it's now public information, you could find it on the web. He had a wife who believed he worked at Apple. His parents believed he worked at Apple. His parents, he left his home every day to go work at Apple. He's never worked at Apple. It was all a lie. And the, the craziest part about it is that he didn't even want anything from me. It wasn't even a lie to gain something. It was a lie because he's a sick, sick person. And he needed that respect, admiration. Oh, you're an engineer at Apple. And, and, and again, I'm not talking about leaving it at the, at, the, at the level of like, he told me that. It was lies. After, I mean, a whole pile of lies. That's just one example. I had a company that I advised that I pitched, I'm not going to name names right now, but a, a mayor of a massive city in the United States 
to, to, to use this platform. There was never a platform. It was all made up. He recruited a whole team of rock stars. He paid them out of pocket. He, he, he gained nothing. He lost only probably hundreds of thousands. Why? Because he has, he has to feel that glory. And, and again, these are two examples. I could, go, I could give you 10 more. There are people today in this ecosystem who present themselves as angel investors who, who are nothing, who are who, zero. They have no capital. They give term sheets to entrepreneurs for nothing. They gain nothing from it. They gain nothing. Not one or two. I mean, it's a real phenomenon. So that makes me question this world. It's, it's a scary thing. But for me personally, I love, like I said, I'm a kid in a candy store every day. I'm, I'm having the best time and I'm going to ride it as long as, you know, again, as long as people don't realize I'm full of crap. You know, that, that's really, it's, it's about the person. At the end of the day, it's investing in people. And, 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 the, and the, you know, the world's top investors do that. They invest in someone because they have a track record. They invest in someone because they see the fire, even if their mission is super difficult and challenging. It's not the product they're investing in. It's not the technology. It's not the idea. It's the person. And that's why when people say to me, I have an idea that's going to be bigger than Facebook, my, my, my instinct is to hang up the phone. You know, <laughs> I don't do it, but it's ridiculous. It's ridic- your idea is worth nothing. You're I'm- sitting on a treasure trove of, a, of a insights and advice to people who do want to pitch, who are looking to scale their businesses. What are some tips you'd give folks who want to get in front of certain media outlets and get their stories across? This is a human being who's going to work just like I'm a human being going to work. He's not some god. And so that's something really crucial that people need to understand. Journalists, investors, talk their language, right? Whether it's on, you know, connecting with a journalist on Twitter. Don't just take a press release and, you know, fire in all directions. You know, I wake up to hundreds of press releases from people all the time, right? Dear blogger, like, dude, come on. You couldn't even, like, research my name. A little effort. I'm not asking you to, like, look up my mother's name. Couldn't write Dear Hillel. Spend five more minutes. You couldn't do it. So they, they don't do it, right? Many years ago, I got, a, uh, I got an email from a company. At the time, the, the name of the company was Twitterland. I knew nothing of this company. I never heard of them. I didn't know them. I didn't know the founders. I knew nothing. The email read something like, Dear Hillel, we follow you on Twitter. We love your article about X. We read this article about Y. We love your work. We'd love you to take a look at our product. Super personalized, super nice, super subtle, not aggressive, just a nice email. And I was like, you know what? I don't know who these guys are, but I'm going to help them because they spent the extra 30 seconds. Turns out the three brothers in Haifa in northern Israel, what they did was they, they built a platform to help me decide who to follow on Twitter. Right? If, I'm, if I'm oversimplifying. Today they're called clear.com. They changed the name of the company to clear with a K and they're super successful, but that's the punchline. What happened next is that I wrote an article about them. I think the title was the one tool you need to decide who to follow back on Twitter. And I wrote that post and I tweeted it. And one of my followers is Alyssa Milano, the actress who has two and a half million followers. She retweeted me. One of her followers is an Arab sheik in Saudi Arabia with 50 million followers. He retweeted her. So this post that I just wrote about this anonymous company in Haifa just got, whatever, 20 million views. Their servers melted. They launched their company from that one tweet, literally. And today they speak globally about their launch and they show a graphic. Hillel's tweet, Alyssa Milano, tech press, servers down. True story. Um, why did that happen? Because they were human. They were human. Be human. Stop thinking like a freaking robot. Don't pitch journalists like they're robots. Get in touch. Build some trust. Yes, it will take five more messages. Don't add someone on LinkedIn and send them a pitch. Hi, Hillel. Nice to meet you. Great to connect. Great to meet you too. What do you do? What do you do? 
Great. Where are you based? I have a product I'd love you to take a look at. 100% success rate. Whereas, thanks for adding me on LinkedIn. Please use our product. Screw you. Unremove that connection immediately. 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 <laughs> Not thinking twice about it. There you go. So I'm saying be human. The answer to your question is, if you want to go on the, on the radar of journalists, it's no different than investors. Do their research. Who is this person? What gets them going? What, what excites them? And reach out. Are they active on Twitter? Reach out on Twitter. Are they active on Facebook? Try Facebook. Is it LinkedIn? What's their platform? What do they talk about? What gets them? Respond. They ask a question on Twitter. Answer them. In fairness, though, Hillel, it's not a 30-second difference. This is a 30-minute difference. But if the ROI is being tweeted uh, back from millions of people, then fair enough. I don't think it's a 30-minute difference. I think it's probably more like a five-day difference. It's more than 30 minutes. It takes time. Do the research. What's this person into? You know, how do they... You got to do research. But again, we already know the chances of failure are 98%. You want to increase the chances of success or failure. You know, I'll, I'll give another example. People send me their resume, right? And I look at sometimes the font. And I say, dude, fix your font. It looks, it looks horrible. And sometimes people say to me, like, I'm not going to get the job because of the font. Come on, who cares? My answer is, I'm not saying you're not going to get the job because of the font. What I'm saying is, their instinct is to say no. Why give them another excuse to say no? Why give them another reason? Maybe they will, maybe they won't pay attention to the font, but why even give them a chance to? Fix the damn font, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, a journalist gets a lot of pitches, gets a lot, just do a little research, be human. There's something, there's there's like a thread that's going in between what we're talking about, and that's a competitor's mindset in that world. Changing the font, maybe meaningless, maybe it's everything, you'll probably never know, but if you're a competitor, if you're trying to get that job that has hundreds of other applicants, you need to make sure you've done everything you can. Like if you're discounting anything, any piece of feedback, then, then you know, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. On the other hand, if we're scaling it up to entrepreneurship, how much feedback can you take before you're overwhelmed, can't act on it, become distracted? It's like a fine balance. So maybe you can give something about what it takes to compete in, in the startup ecosystem. You said you said those entrepreneurs are crazy. Can you dig a little deeper into that craziness? What do you see there? We all know what the egomaniac, narcissistic, crazy entrepreneur look like. What does the successful, constructive, wholesome, crazy entrepreneur look like? So first of all, you, you said something very interesting a second ago about so much you know feedback that you can't move. I think the expression is paralysis by analysis or something like that. You're paralyzed because of all the analysis. Your brain is analyzing. You can't do anything, right? And it's, it's a very valid point. If you're asking me what the common thread is that I've seen between all successful entrepreneurs, you know, every time I interview someone, and like I said before, I try to give them a stage and uh, give them props and talk about how amazing they are, 100% of them, 100% of them respond, it's not me, it's my team. Because leadership is about humility, right? Period. All of those people that I speak to, without exception, are, are humble, which I guess is counter logic. If you think about it, if I'm so great, then why can I know that I'm so great? But the answer is no. There is an inverse correlation. The greater you are, the smaller your ego, actually, in my experience, at least. I don't know what that says about me, but that's a topic for another time. All of these people, while they have a mission and they have fire in their eyes and, they, and they're ambitious, and, they, and, and this is a really important distinction, they're crazy enough to believe that they can do it while balancing the humility. How, do you, how does that work? It's, it's a fine line. But if you meet Daniel Schreiber, the founder of Lemonade, and Shai Winnegar, you can't say these guys have egos. They don't have egos. They don't. But they know what they can do. They're 
self-aware enough to know that they can execute on this mission that's going to change the world. And that's just one example. There are so many others, but it's that fine line. There's a point where, where an ego is camouflaged as a professional standard. You know, ah, I'm operating at this standard. This is how I expect things to be done. And, and people camouflage their, their ego with some sort of a, a facade of professionalism of how things are done here. People who have read the Steve Jobs uh, biography and then think, okay, if I'll treat people awful, then I'll be Steve Jobs. And it's kind of like, no, it's the other way around. <laughs> you get the street cred to behave in a certain way because you've proved your invaluability to the business, to the company, to the right. world, whatever. Interesting. I never thought of it that way. But yeah, I don't think I don't think anyone can pull off Steve Jobs' reality distortion field. I think only Steve Jobs can do that. And at the end of the day, I don't know who said this, but it's a brilliant quote. When I talk to managers, I feel like they're important. But when I talk to leaders, I feel like I'm important. Think about it. Beautiful quote, right? A good leader knows how to elevate everyone around them. You know, oftentimes in the tech world and in every world, as a person achieves success, it goes to their head and then they're more... More, less, less accessible, more whatever you want to call it. I, not only do I not understand it, I actually believe it's detrimental. I, I really do. I think that being nice and caring is an amazing business model. Like it re, it's worked for me. I mean, yeah, I think that some of the most successful people that I know are, are happen to be the nicest and, and the most humble. I think that someone who treats their team, their employees with disrespect um, can't win long-term. Maybe some short-term wins, but long-term they'll lose. You've built a report and you've established trust with some highly inaccessible people. And they say the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is to plant a tree now. What can entrepreneurs do today in order to prepare themselves, their Rolodex, their network for the time they need it? A lot of coffee. I mean that, you know, it's funny, but I actually am not kidding. Like people say to me all the time, I, I had a call yesterday with someone, a woman sounds highly intelligent. She wants to break into a certain industry. What she means is she wants to work in a company and in this industry. What I said to her is go have a lot of coffee, go meet people, just meet people, get on their radar, open doors with zero expectance of, you know, expectance, zero expectations, I guess, of, of you know, of, of landing a job or of getting ROI, just have coffee for the sake of having coffee An email. Hi, Hillel. I follow your work. I'd love to meet you. Why would I not meet that person? Again, assuming I have the time. Or if not, let's have a Zoom, whatever. Who, you know what? If a person won't say yes to something like that, not sure you want to meet them in the first place. Now, I'm not, again, I'm, I'm obviously oversimplifying, right? I'm, I'm not saying you could reach out to, uh, you know, Tim Cook and say, let's have a cup of coffee, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, generally speaking, start building your network. Start building those relationships when you don't need them. Once you need them, they need to be in place, right? When does Apple announce the iPhone weeks before they open the stores. And that's why they have lines around the block because they built it three weeks ago, right? Start building, you know, if you're building your marketing strategy as a, as a company, start building your Twitter account now so that in six months from now, when you have a product, you have followers waiting for your product. If you, you know, people say to me, I have no marketing to do. I don't have a product yet. That, that is like the dumbest thing I've ever heard anyone say. Well, not, not the, but up there. You got to start before you have a product. If your product is ready and now you're starting, you missed the train, right? So in terms of getting on the radar of the right people, and start now. Not when you need something, but now when you don't need something. And then it will come back when you, they'll be there when you need it. And that brings me back to my whole career. I didn't depend on any of this for income. I had a job. And so I started to build relationships to try to help people 
genuinely authentically because I wanted to help them. It ended up being, you know, mutually beneficial and everyone ended up gaining and winning from it. So the answer is start building relationships in an authentic manner. Think of the other person, very important, not about yourself. I wrote a post about this last week, a little bit of a rant. People write me, hey, Hill, I want to collaborate. I'm like, okay, this, I had a call yesterday. I'm not going to mention a name, but a very big company. It said, I want to collaborate. And when I dug a little deeper, what they meant was, we want you to work for us. We want you to promote our stuff. And I'm like, how is that a collaboration? You mean you want me to help you? So say, Hillel, can you help us? Which is fine. And I'll probably say yes, but don't call it a collaboration, right? And so people say, let's collaborate. We'll start with, okay, let's collaborate. Here's what's in it for you. And here's what I want from you. Now let's talk. So the same thing with relationships. You want to build relationships? You want to get on the, think about that person. What's, what's, an, what's an itch of theirs that you can scratch, right? Have a cup of coffee, a lot of coffee. And then when you need them, quote unquote, down the line, and I'm not saying, by the way, to trick anyone. You have to be authentic about this. But when you need them later on, they're there because you built that relationship authentically six months ago. Yep. How do you manage your availability? Um, there are several time zones, a lot of people, different seniorities wanting different things. And you are first and foremost, family man. It sounds to me like you could be busy 24 hours a day, seven days a week, nonstop, and still be busy. How do you manage it? Well, I can talk about this topic for three hours straight, but the answer is optimization. Yeah, the answer is time hacks, really. I've figured out ways over the years to quote-unquote cut corners in ways or in places that I can cut corners. So, for example, building relationships, don't cut corners. That needs to be done organically. But communication, email, well, if I'm writing my email address – Right? If people say to me a hundred times a day, what's your email address? And every single time I need to respond by writing my email address, which takes, let's say, 14 seconds. So why not set up a shortcut so that instead of writing out my email address, I write one letter, it auto-completes it, and I can save myself 14 seconds times 300 every day, just for example. This is one example, but on, you know, on the iPhone and on Android, there's, there's a feature for this. And on the iPhone, it's called text replacements. Nobody knows about it. It's an unbelievable thing. On Android, I think it's called personal dictionary. Any sentence or any phrase or any paragraph that you write more than once a day, set up a shortcut. So for example, my bio. Anytime someone wants me to speak, someone, they say to me, I need your bio. So what do I have to do? I have to go to my Google Drive or my Dropbox, go find it, copy it, and paste it. That takes six minutes. Or I could just set up a shortcut and I write the word, just whatever, updated bio, and it fills an entire paragraph. So I just save myself six minutes times whatever. So that's just an example. But the answer is I've optimized my time honestly, and built a pretty well-oiled machine over the years. And I'm going to even go ahead and strengthen your question, not to toot my own horn, but if you saw my sent items on a daily basis, you might actually not believe it. Like what I do in one day, most people probably do in a month because I've, I've optimized my time. I'm home every day at five o'clock with my kids, every day. I don't mean to sound like a preacher here, but like treating people with respect, what does it cost you? Nothing. It's all the difference. It really is just, by the way, and I've been, You know, some people, friends of mine have told me over the years that I need to not be so concise, that I'm too concise sometimes by email. I'm not nice enough. And, that, and, I, and I'm sure I've been guilty of it over the years. You know, somebody, a friend will write me and I'll answer to them. I'll answer the email as, as if they're a colleague and they don't realize how busy I am. So they're like, why is he being so cold? I'm sure I'm guilty of it. But overall, as a whole, I try to be responsive. If you look at my inbox right now, it's probably at, well, we've been talking for an hour. So maybe I have three, four emails, but usually it's an inbox zero. Always making sure it's an inbox zero. I get an email, I respond. Uh, my email is my task management software. So if I have a task I need to do, it's in my inbox. When it's done, I archive it, right? I don't use other software. It's another thing. And I have no, no disrespect to monday.com and to Asana, no, amazing tools. 
to me, Hillel fault, just a personal thing. To stop what I'm doing, to document what I'm doing, makes no sense. Just do it. Stop talking about it. You have, a, you have a task, leave it in your inbox, get it done and archive it. Get it out of the way, cross it off. Yes, have your lists, have your inbox. To me, I mean, I'm one person. Obviously with a team, it gets more complicated. I'm not belittling that. But to me, I've never used task management software. To me, it's just do the work. And so very responsive, try to be respectful and just optimize my time as much as I possibly can and get as much done as I can. Looking forward, what should people be excited about coming out of these early tech scene? I mean, I'm excited about drones. I'm very excited about drones. You've been excited about drones for like five years now. That's true. That's true. But I, I, I often say, if you want to know how far we've come technologically, like if you want to know how crazy technology can be, nothing depicts that. Nothing illustrates that better than a drone. We're talking about a device that fits in your hand that can fly for miles recording in 4K quality with 20 GPS satellites connected to it at any given point and around anywhere between five and 10 embedded sensors that avoid obstacles and do the most incredible things. And then it can land precisely to the millimeter of where it took off from automatically, autonomously. That's wild if you think about it. it, it in fact, I, I often think that like, somebody missed like the boat here with drone regulation. I know regulations are, are big, but like the fact that anyone can take, just go to a DJI store and buy this, this incredibly sophisticated piece of machinery is crazy to me. I mean, what you can do with this thing is wild. And so drones are really hot. And I think Israel's really positioning itself as, uh, as quite a player in the drone space. Uh, I've seen some incredible companies in the drone space. And I think if you want to know about interesting things to pay attention to from Israel, drones is definitely something to, uh, to look at. Before we close, anything else you'd want to leave our listeners with? I think that the most important thing here is that there's a common misconception that people need to stop believing. And that is that business is a zero-sum game. That if I'm giving you money, I must be losing. That is not the case. I often like to compare it to a candle. A candle has fire. A candle gives its fire to another candle, it loses nothing. It just creates more fire. Same thing with business. You help someone, you help an entrepreneur, connect him to an investor. I'm sending an email. That investor is now getting an amazing deal. That entrepreneur is getting capital. What did I lose? I lost nothing. I created more fire. I lost nothing. It took me four seconds to send an email. I just help two other people win. And so business is not a zero-sum game. If you help others win, you end up winning. Full stop. So that's, for me, the most important lesson that I've learned over the years is build a stage, let other people stand on that stage. And what ends up happening is when you focus your time and resources on value in any format, whatever that means, what happens is that the person who's receiving your value has no expectations because they're not paying you. And when there are no expectations, all you can do is exceed expectations. So when I exceed expectations over and over and over and over again, what I create is what I like to call delight. Delight, like in the cartoons where the person comes to you with hearts in their eyes. Delight can be monetized, and that's it. You've done a huge service for the ecosystem, for the country, for entrepreneurs. Um, as a consumer of your content, I've hugely benefited from it. I kept thinking there is a, there is a, there's something I'm not getting. Does, does, there has to be something that, that drives this because of your availability, generosity. And speaking with you, I realized, no, he's, he's actually you know, doing what he says he's doing. And that's, uh, that's giving. That's what we hope to do with the show. And I wish you many more years of giving and um, 
Thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. I guess, I guess the, the uh, punchline of all of this and the, the tagline or the business model that everyone should follow is be a mensch. That's it. Pretty simple. Is that is that on a t-shirt already? Be a mensch? I don't know. Let's make it. Good business. <laughs> Do market research first, though. Hey, Lerful. It's been remarkable. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your expertise. Can't wait to meet you again. Amen. Thank you for having me. I had a good time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.